Okay, so today we're going to begin a brand new series, and the whole purpose of this series is to answer one uh, question. I wish it was a simple question. Uh, I wish we hadn't made it as complicated as, as it is, but the question is, what is the gospel? And we're going to spend some time answering that question. Uh, if you were here last week, you understand the importance of a series like this. Both Dylan and Jacob shared a, a bit of their heart regarding our youth, uh, regarding the mission that they have uh, and the goals that they have for our youth. They also shared the importance uh, and pressing need to equip this generation uh, with the ability to understand and to communicate the gospel. To understand and communicate the gospel. If you don't, uh, if you don't, if you weren't here, or you don't know those numbers that that they shared last week. I encourage you to go back to the to the message and listen again to that. So very important stuff, kind of uh, eye opening in some ways. Um, so it gives us gives us a focus when we when we take a poll or we take a survey. It gives us a focus of what we need to target, what we need to uh, aim at. And one of those, two of those things is teaching a generation how to understand and communicate the gospel. But of course, this goes beyond um, our youth, right? We need a proper understanding of the gospel. Can I get an amen on this? We need a proper understanding of the gospel. We say we believe it. We say that we are rescued because of this, because of this truth, but... Uh, many of us struggle with articulating it, which is often a sign that we don't uh, understand it well. So I'm going to set the stage for the series today, and we're going to um, we're going to be talking a lot about concepts and principles or ideas today. We're not going to bite off uh, more than we can chew today. We're not going to try to answer the whole question: What is the gospel today? Um, so again, principles and ideas, that's what I want to present to you today. And these principles and these ideas are going to help. They're going to serve as filters for each and every one of us uh, to be able to understand and to be able to identify the gospel when we actually see it. Uh, we're going to learn a lot about ourselves today, okay? A lot about our uh, human nature today. So I, I think that this will be really important. Uh, and then in the weeks to come, we are going to explore the meaning and the truth of the gospel uh, in a greater depth. So, and that'll, I'll be joined uh, with Barney and with Jacob and with Dylan as we pursue this answer. Uh, so let's start by defining the term gospel. This isn't a complicated term, and I think most of you already know the meaning. Gospel simply means good news, okay? So it doesn't, doesn't take a rocket scientist. It doesn't take a, uh, a schooled preacher to, to explain that. But we have somehow uh, gotten that good news lost or had that good news lost uh, in our church world today. So whatever the gospel is, this is the important thing, whatever the gospel is, it is good and it is good news to those, and I want to make a very important uh, qualifier here, to those who accept it and to those who heed it, okay? The gospel is good news, so whatever it is that we define this as, whatever that good news is, it is still that, good news, and it is particularly good news, specifically good news, to those who accept and heed it. Do you remember how the gospel was interpreted by Jewish people and Greek people in Jesus' day? According to the scripture, according to Jesus himself, it was a stumbling block to the Jew and foolishness to the Greek. 
So how in the world do we get good news getting screwed up? How is good news missed? Because again, it is good news to those who accept it and to those who heed it. Make no mistake, it was good news when it was proclaimed, uh, but it was only good news to those, again, who understood it. Uh, to those who misunderstood it, it became a mess. And this is what's happening in the church today, right? Sadly, uh, we, have, we have confused the gospel in the church today. And because of that, it's no longer good news for people. It's, it's just a weird religious idea or a, you know, a, a mess that people try to communicate, and we think it's uh, deeply connected with doctrinal distinctives, and though they may play a part at some point, we have just made it a mess. So um, we, we have done it with things like grace and works, those two concepts when we talk about the Bible or when we talk about the gospel, uh, they've become stumbling blocks. Just like the, the original gospel, the true gospel was to the Jew and to the Greek, uh, the ideas of grace and works have become stumbling blocks to the modern mind or to the modern churchgoer. Uh, and they, they don't believe that they have any part, grace or works, in these camps. They don't believe that they have any part in the true gospel, which is absurd, right? This is, this is, not, this is not good, and I'll explain that as we go. However, what happens in the church is that this beautiful story, what is true, the actual gospel, um, which the scripture calls the power of God unto salvation. How many of you know that that is what the gospel is? It's the power of God unto salvation. Now, that doesn't mean I've defined it perfectly, but it is one of its definitions, the power of God unto salvation. It's been put into these little boxes according to all of us, put into these little boxes, which we stand by and we defend. Uh, this is the idea that we like or the, the, the idea that we believe represents the gospel best. And um, sadly, we have lost, in doing this, in propping up our little pet ideas, we've lost the fullness of the gospel. We grab hold of specific aspects of the good news, and we defend it, and we defend it this way, as the only accurate representation of the gospel. What I believe is the gospel is the only accurate representation of the gospel, and what you believe is just craziness, <laughs> right? This, this sounds like the modern church today. So what has this done with the church? Well, it's caused us to lose, again, the beauty of the fullness of the gospel while becoming intolerant of aspects that don't quite resonate with us, okay? There are these really cool aspects of the gospel that don't fit our story, and we go, well, that can't be the gospel, Differing views of the gospel have almost turned the church into a place of spiritual partisanship. One Christian belongs to this gospel camp over here. Another Christian subscribes to this gospel camp over here. And then there's accusations that go flying, right? Accusations of everybody who disagrees with me is preaching what? A false gospel. <laughs> everybody who disagrees with Nathan is obviously a heretic and says something completely different. Do you realize how dangerous this is? It's really dangerous. It creates in the church such disunity that we can no longer have a conversation. And because we can no longer have a conversation, we're not the people God says we're supposed to be. You've probably heard some of the terms that are used to attack uh, gospel versions that, that maybe you don't agree with. I've, I've used these myself, and I have to repent of this. But uh, say, for example, you hear of a gospel that is, that is proclaiming the 
unbelievably reckless, absurd mercy of God. And what is the accusation against it? Ah, it's cheap grace. It's hyper grace. We can't believe in that kind of thing. Yep, that's one of the accusations against it. How about uh, a gospel that is law or works-based? Well, your gospel is too works-based. It's you're trying to earn your way to God. These are accusations. Each camp claims that the aspects that they have no affinity for, things that they disagree with, have no place in the gospel message whatsoever. Uh, There are more nuanced uh, understandings of the gospel as well, or ideas within the gospel as well. Ideas that... uh, often require going to school to to learn about, right? Substitutionary atonement. That Doesn't that sound like a highfalutin thing right there? Substitutionary atonement. This is the view that Jesus came as our substitute. That is part of the gospel. Or uh, say the idea of Christus Victor, that the view that Christ has, the gospel communicates that Christ has won the victory over sin, death, and the enemy. That's the objective of the gospel. Some maintain that the true gospel is simply the idea that there will be no more sickness or pain or tears uh, inside of life, and that life will then become objectively good. That's when we've really experienced the gospel. Meanwhile, others will say that the gospel is only that we will someday abide with our Heavenly Father, uh, and there are countless nuances that go uh, from there. Uh, Maybe you're one of the people that wonders why this idea has to be so daggone complicated. Why does it have to be so complicated, Nathan? Uh, Isn't it just that we get to go to heaven when we die? (laughs) <laughs> right? That's, that's the way we kind of view the gospel. So for all of us, we're, we're asking what is the good news, and we're all defining it certain ways. That's what we each, each of us do. In light of all these, if I were asked the question today, if I was presented with all of those ideas, those concepts, those nuanced explanations, if I was presented with all of them and asked the question, do you believe that these represent the gospel? My answer would be yes. I believe absolutely every single one of them represents the truth of the gospel in some way, okay? And that is why we need to answer this question better, because there's a lot of little truths that we're all accepting, a lot of little ideas that we go, that makes sense, that makes sense, that makes sense, and then we just uh, kind of dig in on those little truths and we exclude everything else, which means we have a piece of the gospel, but not the fullness thereof. For example, the gospel is, how many of you know this, the gospel is an absurd level of grace, The gospel is an absurd level of grace. I would argue that you might even call it hyper grace. It's unbelievable how beautiful this gospel is. It's it's a matter of fact, it's such a high level of grace, most of us are still uncomfortable with it. Most of us are still uncomfortable with it, especially when it comes to others, right? You're, You're not catching what I'm throwing down here, people, right? We love absurd grace when it's me. I don't love absurd grace when it's you, right? But it's an absurd grace, and that's what the gospel uh, promotes. The gospel is also the good news of salvation from sin and death. How many of you know that? Ah, but the gospel goes further. The gospel is also a call to action. It's salvation to something. And what is that to? To life and godliness. In many ways, the gospel is freedom. Freedom to not be a sin sinful, wretched person that constantly rebels against God. 
right? The gospel, again, it's a call to action. It's to fidelity or faithfulness to our king. The gospel tells us that Christ did win the victory over the principalities and powers of a dark world, didn't he? He did. That's what the gospel promotes. It also communicates that uh, a penalty must have been paid or something needed to be understood. And so Jesus is our substitute uh, for for what we would all have to pay otherwise. How many of you glad you don't have to go to a physical cross because of your sins? How many of you are not raising your hand because you don't understand this truth well? Right? The option is Jesus pays it or you go. Right? Jesus pays it or you deal with this kind of payment. This is, this is absurd. So the gospel is about substitution. God's blood, Jesus' blood, was an atoning work for absolutely everyone who will believe. So again, the answer to the question, do these represent the gospel? The answer is across the board, yes. The gospel is absurd grace. The gospel is a call to action. The gospel is substitution. The gospel is Jesus won. The gospel is all of that, and it keeps moving forward. In the coming weeks, we're going to dive into each of these aspects of the gospel. But before we do that, before we jump into the, the, the little nitty-gritty pieces that everybody wants to argue about, I want to share a couple of principles with you uh, that I believe need to be deeply ingrained inside of our minds and our hearts in order to arrive at this full understanding of the gospel. What I'm about to share uh, transcends the subject of the gospel. What do I mean by that? I mean its application is found everywhere. It's not, this principle is not greater than the gospel. It's just uh, a filter through which we need to see life, and it applies everywhere. So let's talk about this principle. The principle I want to talk about is the principle of cognition. Wonderful, right? Let's just go into this. It sounds like so much fun, Nathan. Are you going to bore us to tears? No. I even made the sermon shorter for you this week. So listen, right? So we're going to talk about the principle of cognition. In case you're unfamiliar with the term, cognition is defined this way. It is the mental action or process of acquiring knowledge and understanding through thought experience, and the senses. How many of you know you're, you're cognizant beings? That's what you do. You, you, you understand, you take in information, you acquire information, you process information, and you do that through understanding, through thought, through experience, and through the five senses. Let's look at how we embrace ideas uh, as we become aware of the world around us, especially how we become aware of things like the gospel and its meaning. The first thing that I want you to realize about cognition is that it's natural. We all do this, right? It's the process, again, uh, a process that we employ every day. God has made us to operate this way, so please hear me. This is not pop psychology. It's not voodoo. It's not witchcraft. It's just you. It's how you are, okay? Cognition is also, second, cognition is a dynamic process. I heard a professor say once that uh, cognition is the loop between you and the world. Cognition is the loop between you and the world. This is really intriguing to me because what cognition does is it helps us to sort between relevant and irrelevant information. And with the amount of content that we have thrown at us, Today, in our world, we actually need to refine this process, don't we? 
We need to know how to, deter, uh, to, to discern what is relevant and what is irrelevant. What happens with cognition or awareness, if you want a, another term for it, is that we foreground and we background information constantly. So this is where we're going to get into this principle. And I, I do believe that it will help you. I believe that it will probably even shock some of you. We foreground information and we background information constantly. We also view things through a perspective uh, or um, an aspect, and we have uh, our identity, which plays a part in this. So here's four elements of cognition that I want you to be thinking through at all times. You foreground, you background, if you're a note taker, foreground, you background, aspect, and identity. Foreground, background, aspect, and identity. Each one of these uh, plays a part in how you understand life, everything. So when we foreground information, we place our focus on that particular thing, right? When we background information, we are consciously or subconsciously pushing it aside, okay? We're, we're just dropping it to the back. Most often, we background information because we simply have to. Okay? How many of you know that you have to background a whole lot of information? The far majority of information you actually have to background. Uh, our brains are not built to consume absolutely everything that comes in to our mind at the same time. Do you know you'd be overwhelmed by this? Let me give you an example of it. Right now, each and every one of you are foregrounding something. You are for, well, I mean, you may be foregrounding something different like lunch after church, but, but, but you should be foregrounding something. You should be foregrounding me and my voice. Why? Because I'm the guy talking today, right? So you're foregrounding me and my voice. But let me tell you that you have backgrounded countless things. One of those things is how your left big toe feels until now, right? You have foregrounded me and you've backgrounded that until I mentioned it. And then all of a sudden you're going, ah, oh, I didn't even think. How does my left big toe feel? It feels good. It feels just like my right big toe, okay? Right? You foreground information and you background information at all times. In addition to foregrounding or backgrounding, we also view uh, everything through a particular aspect. Okay, so when it comes to cognition, we, we have to be careful that aspects are, these different aspects are kept intact. These are the parts or the features of something. We need to always keep them intact. This is important when it comes to biblical context. It's important with historical context, linguistic context, all of those things. Because aspect is the integrity of the content. I've spent the last year harping on content, I, uh, context. I've spent the last uh, 10 years doing it, actually. But we had a very clear focus on context over the past 12 months. And if you're not going to understand that aspect well, you are never going to receive the information properly. Okay? So you, you're not foregrounding the right things. You're, you're actually backgrounding, in some ways, important information that you shouldn't background. We try to get, um, uh, in order to do this with, with context and with all these things, what we're trying to do is we're trying to get as close to a source as possible. We're trying to understand things the best we can. So we have foregrounding, we have backgrounding, we have aspect, and then lastly, we have an identity, and that is where you place yourself in the story will affect what you understand. It affects, uh, it affects the aspect. It, again, affects what you foreground and background. So your identity matters deeply. So what we're going to do today is we're going to uh, we're gonna put the gospel through, or we're going to put one 
series of verses that we refer to as the gospel through these four filters. And we're going to talk about what we foreground, what we background, the aspect that we read this through, and the identity that we have in this story. I want you to see that the gospel is largely, uh, the gospel is largely what people have shared about it. It's just not the complete view of it, okay? The gospel is, again, absurd grace. The gospel is a call to action. The gospel is Christ's victory over sin and death. The gospel is substitutionary atonement. It's all of those pieces, um, but it's not any one of those pieces by themselves. So it just so happens uh, that we're looking, again, at aspects. So after that, I'll give you a brief outline for where we're going to go next week when it comes to the gospel and the Lord's Prayer. I think that this will be fun for you. So let's talk about foreground, background, aspect, and identity. John 3.16, that's the, that's the passage everybody loves, right? This is absolutely the gospel. How many of you grew up? believing that this verse just contains the gospel. Well, it contains aspects of the gospel. And so all I'm trying to do right now is I'm trying to walk you through uh, this principle and this idea of foregrounding, backgrounding, seeing the aspect, and reading your identity into certain information. So, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes, this is whosoever, King James, whosoever, I can't read it any other way, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Okay, sounds awesome, doesn't it? So let's talk about what we foreground and what we background first. So the first thing that we have to realize is that we are foregrounding certain information. We'll go to the next slide on this. For God so loved the world, we have foregrounded God's love, haven't we? How many of you believe that the gospel is God's love? Right away. What is the gospel? What is the good news? Jesus loves you. We've said this to so many people in our lives. And it's true. God loved. But it's not even just a small amount of love, right? This is what I call the so love of God. <laughs> the so love of God. God so loved the world. You know that the writer could have simply said, for God loved the world? But he didn't. There's a stress there. Isn't that awesome? So you should foreground that. You should take that out of the text and understand what's being said. For God so loved the world that he gave he gave. So what's the next thing that we foreground? We foreground that God's a giver. But what did God give? He gave his only begotten son. Now there's a myriad of things that we're backgrounding at this moment, okay? The things that we're backgrounding are, what in the world does only begotten mean? I don't know. Push it aside, <laughs> right? We don't, we don't have any clue unless we're adopting Mormon or Jehovah's Witness ideas and we we get really skewed on these ideas, okay? So we background this. But what we do is we say that this is the gospel. I'm going to foreground information, and here's the foreground and information. The gospel is that God loved you, and he gave his son for you. Is that the full gospel? Not even close. Not even close. Because if you don't understand what's happening here, if you only foreground that information and you background absolutely everything else, do you know what you can come away with? You can come away with a gospel that says this, guys, just so you know, Jesus loves you, so don't do anything. Just go out and live your life. It doesn't matter. God loves you. Isn't that true? You can do that if you don't foreground and background information properly. You can absolutely come away with a Todd White gospel here, okay? And it's fine. I don't care, 
right? But you need to press further. You definitely need to press further. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Now, let's go further. And we're going to see what we foreground and what we background. That whoever believes in him, that is who? God or his son, right? His son is in particular view here. Shall not perish but have eternal life. Now, all of a sudden, we're forced to foreground something that requires attention. Why am I perishing? Why am I perishing? This is a problem, okay? So we foregrounded information. The so love of God, the giving nature of God, the fact that he gave the instrument, which is his only begotten son, and whoever believes in him shall not perish. Lord, help, why am I perishing? Why, why do I have to die? Because you've backgrounded something you can't background in the true gospel. What is that? Sin. You can't background sin out of the gospel. We try it all the time. People do this left and right. Don't worry about sin. All I need you to know is God loves you. Yes, he does. He loved you enough to die for the sin that is killing you, okay? That you're committing and is killing you. So he says, he shall not perish but have eternal life. Now, if we foreground the wrong information here and we background everything that is important, we're going to actually think that the gospel is eternal life. Awesome. I just want to live forever. That sounds good. I get to go to heaven when I die, right? That's what the gospel is. Eh, that's a part of the gospel. It's a part of the gospel. Think about that concept of go to heaven when you die. That's something you foregrounded a lot of information and backgrounded a lot of other information, right? You foregrounded go to heaven as if there's some sort of disembodied state where people uh, sit on clouds and play harps and you get wings and a halo. <laughs> That's not true, right? You, there's, there's this idea. Or you understand the ancient world and all the symbolism that goes in the world and you realize that heaven is a declaration of a place in which God is king on his throne. And so going to heaven when we die should be rightly understood if you foreground the right information and background the wrong information. If you foreground properly, you're going to see that someday there's going to be a new heaven and a new earth, a holy Jerusalem that comes down and we will walk with our king it's pretty awesome, right? This is how it, what it means to foreground information properly and background information. So eternal life is a part of the gospel, but it's not all of the gospel. All of John 3.16 actually requires John 3.17 and 18 to make any sense at all. Okay, so let's read John 3, 17 and 18. For God did not send the Son into the world to judge the world, but that the world might be saved through him. He who believes in him is not judged. He who does not believe, read this with me, church, has been judged already. Mm. I didn't foreground that information in my gospel presentation before. Why? Because because I'm trying to background things I don't like, right? Has been judged already. Do you know the status of humanity? The status of humanity is high treason against a creator God. We're sinners, we've fallen short, and we deserve a just punishment. Do you know that? That's what the scripture teaches us. You have been judged already. Why? Why? Because all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. 
We've got to background the right information, but we've got to foreground the right information. Has been judged already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. With this line, has been judged already, let's go back to John 3.16. Let's look at it one more time. John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Now, if we're foregrounding and backgrounding correct, here's what we foregrounded. The so love of God, the giving nature of God, the instrument of our salvation, which is his Son, the fact that we must believe, which we're going to get to next, and in that belief, what happens? We are saved from the judgment we're already under, according to just the next two verses. It's not even that complicated, right? He shall not perish, but have eternal life. You will not foreground information properly, and you will not background information properly. You will not have a right aspect of the gospel unless you read it fully, unless you understand it in its context. So what happens, again, church, is that, is that we take these portions of the gospel, these little ideas of the gospel, and we take them so far out of their context or their, their understanding that we then make all kinds of gospels up. The gospel is this. You can't earn your way to heaven. Did you know that? Did you know you can't earn your way to heaven? It's awesome. It's good. That's important. You can't earn your way to heaven. But then people stop there and they assert that the gospel is actually this. Not only can you not earn your way to heaven, but if you ever show any effort to obey God, or if a pastor ever says you must obey, he's a law-based, works-based preacher that is teaching you a false gospel. Guess what that person is? Crazy. <laughs> Wrong. They have not read the scripture. What they're doing is what I said at the beginning. They have foregrounded certain information that makes sense to them. They get excited about it. It speaks to them. And they've backgrounded everything else. And they background it much to their own uh, disservice, right? That it's going to hurt them eventually. Or you can have a, a gospel message where somebody says, hey, I just want you to know the scripture says, repent and believe and you will be saved. How many of you know that the Bible says that? Repent and believe and you will be saved. And if you don't understand what's happening there, if you don't foreground and background the information properly, what you're in danger of doing is you're in danger of saying, oh, so, there's something I have to do to earn my salvation. No. There is a response to the grace of God, which would be repentance. But if you foreground the information wrong, background the information wrong, you're going to come away with a really screwed up gospel. That's what's going to happen, okay? So, let's go to believe for a second. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. You know what we foreground and background here? We foreground our view of belief and we background a true view of belief. What we think believe means is mere mental ascension to a truth, a proposition. Do you believe that the sun is in the sky? Yes, I've seen it. I believe in that proposition. I believe in that idea. There's some, you know, there's some evidence there. That's perfectly fine. With this, it's a different thing. 
The word pistuo, the word belief, is faith or trust or fidelity in something. If you are going to believe in the Son of God, it is not to merely accept that there is a cosmic deity who had a son, and that son is your instrument of salvation. And you just ascend to this idea and you're good. This is not the gospel. There are many people who are going to say, Lord, Lord, didn't we do this or that in your name? And he says in the end, he says, depart from me. I never what? I never knew you. I never knew you. What else does the scripture say? Jesus says that the demons believe and they shudder, right? The devil knows who Jesus is. Listen, he believes in him far deeper than you do, (laughs) right? If you just want to talk about mental ascension. But when we talk about belief, what we're talking about is this Greek word pistuo, which is to put one's trust in. So, This is important. Foreground, background information. You must foreground a proper view of belief. Otherwise, this isn't a gospel at all. You can accept the proposition of a guy named Jesus, but it doesn't mean anything. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes, trusts, puts their life in his hands, in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Guys, it's all about what we foreground and what we background. All of this is important. How about aspects of the gospel? How about aspect? What what aspect do we understand? Well, this is where belief in the right words matters, the aspect of believe, right? What does that mean? Um, Understanding where you, uh, how how would I do this? Aspect would also be... um, My mind is drawing a blank. I'm sorry. There's too much snot in here. Um, So so aspect aspect is a lot of things. You you, you remember on a projector or a television, you have an aspect ratio. How many of you know that, right? You have an aspect ratio. How many of you know that if you record a video on your cell phone in a certain aspect ratio or a certain format, and then you try to play it somewhere else, it gets distorted? This is what happens a lot of times with the fidelity of the gospel. We read it, and then we try to project it in a different way, and it becomes distorted, it becomes skewed, and that skewed is things like it's all about hyper-grace, or it's all about uh, doing what you're told, law and, 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 uh, and, and uh, works, and all of this kind of thing. So this is where aspect comes into this. The aspect that you have, the, the aspect of the gospel that you favor, If you love the grace of God, that's a wonderful thing. You should love the grace of God. But be careful that you don't rule out the justice of God in your aspect. Because the gospel includes the justice of God. So this this brings us into identity. And this is really important because identity is probably my favorite piece of this whole discussion. Because who you think you are in the story changes everything. And that it changes everything whether you think of about it in terms of Jew Gentile or whether you think about it in terms of good Christian kid raised in raised in the church or maybe a person that had a less uh privileged upbringing. So let me talk about that for a second. Um if you were to read this story uh in the identity of a Jewish person and you heard that Christ was going to set you free Do you know what things would pop into your mind, what you would foreground and what you would background? You would most likely foreground all of the times in which you, as God's people, have been led into captivity. You'd probably think about that, right? Do you know we don't think about that? Why? 
We've never been in captivity, right? I mean, sometimes church feels that way. Anyway, so, anyway, so, so we've never been led into captivity, right? But the Jewish person would hear this. And so if you hear that Jesus comes and he is, the, he is preaching a gospel of deliverance, what are you going to think? Deliverance from what? Captivity, right? Now, if you were a person of modern origins and maybe you were uh, influenced by the occult all your life and you heard that Jesus was a deliverer, what might you foreground? Deliverance from what? The devil, the occult, a principality, right? What, what are we doing here? Identity, where we land in the story, affects how we hear the gospel. It, it changes the aspect. It changes what we foreground and what we background. If you're a Gentile and you hear Jesus come and say, I want to deliver you, what is your question going to be? From what? What am I being delivered from? And since it's not bondage and captivity from an oppressive regime like a Roman government or something like this, you're going to have to dig a little deeper to find out that it's sin and death and that you need to be delivered from this. You see, foregrounding, backgrounding, aspect, and image, or your, your image and your uh, identity in the story matters deeply in all of this. Let's get really practical. Let's, uh, how many of you were raised in the church from a really young age? Raise your hand real high. I want everybody to look at all the Christian nerds around here. That's me, okay? I was with them. So come on, raise your hand real high. Okay, Christian, you were raised in the church. This is a beautiful, beautiful thing. This is my life, okay? Now, I hear about the love of God, and what do I do? My foreground is no duh. I was told he loved me all my life right? I hear about people saying, you have been delivered from sin, and you have been delivered from all of your depravity, and what do I do? I go, I wasn't that bad of a kid. It sounds funny to you, right? But I have people to vouch for that. Anyway, so anyways, but anyway, still a sinner, still a sinner, still a heathen, still bad, right? But I was raised in the church, so I foreground certain information. When the scripture starts talking about being a substitute for, for my life because I deserve death, my natural question is, what did I do? What did I do? What happened, right? Your perspective, where you're at, your identity matters in understanding the gospel story. Okay, so let's, let's how many of you were uh, less than fortunate? Maybe let's do this. How many of you in this room were into drugs and all kinds of chaos? Okay, so you can see this group of people, right? When Jesus, when the gospel comes and says that Jesus wants to deliver you, the gospel is that God wants to rescue you from this place. Do you know that my good church boy upbringing is going to respond to that gospel very different from somebody like Mark Williams? Mark Williams is going to respond to that and say, he can deliver me from this? Are you serious? I, really? Like, do you know my life? Do you know where I've been? Do you know what it is? And when the gospel is presented that says, Mark Williams, Jesus loves you. And you are his child. He's going to hear that different than I am. You know why? Because the one who's been forgiven much loves much. Right? He understands it in a way that I don't. Does it mean I can't understand it? No. It means I got a lot of work to do with foregrounding and backgrounding information properly. 
I need to look at this well. I need to see who I really am. I need to not just read John 3.16 and say, God so loved the world. The gospel is Jesus loves me. Good. I'm going to live just like I always did and be happy. That's not the gospel. It's not the full gospel. Jesus does love me. But he loved me enough to wash away my sins to rescue me from what I deserved, which was that I chose to be a, a, a cosmic rebel against God or a rebel against a cosmic God, right? I, I chose to defy him. Where you are in the story matters. It changes how you see it. And here's why this is really important. Because when Mark Williams comes up to me or when any of you come up to me that have had a past that is hard and you come to me and you say, let me tell you what the gospel is. The gospel is that God loved me and he rescued me and his amount of love and his amount of grace to me is so unbelievably absurd I'll never stop talking about it I don't have a right to look at you and say well I need to analyze what you actually think doctrinally first to make sure that you're saved do you know what I'm talking about church do you hear me because what we do is we, we take the gospel and we make it into all kinds of things. It's not just that God saved you and redeemed you. It's that you must actually recite certain things and do certain things and be certain things. This is not the full gospel. Will you bear fruit based on the vine that you're a part of? Will you bear fruit and will it be good fruit and will it reflect Jesus if you are truly saved? Yes, yes. But the gospel is that he has come to bring you into the vine, not pick good vines that he can make his children. Did you know that? This is really important. So Mark Williams is going to hear the gospel one way. Nathan's going to hear the gospel another way. You're all going to hear the gospel a different way. And here's what I think we ought to do as Christians. I think we ought to take a deep breath and have a whole lot more patience with each other. And actually humble ourselves enough to say, wow, can you tell me why that was good news to you? Can you tell me how that good news shaped you and changed you and put you on this path to walk after Jesus? Can you tell me that? Instead of saying, I need you to go ahead and recite the gospel. I'm, I'm testing you right now. So recite the gospel. And when I feel that you're approved, then I'll let you be a Christian. <laughs> that, that's sadly what we seem to do. It's what we seem to do. This is not a healthy way to handle the gospel. So, what do we need to do when we're studying our scriptures? What do we need to do when we think about the gospel? We need to know what we're foregrounding. We need to know what we're backgrounding. We need to know the aspect that we're looking at something from. We need to understand our identity in the story. We need to understand others' identity in that same story. Right? This is going to help us this is going to give us a lot more peace when it comes to understanding things. So the last thing I want to do today is I want to read you the Lord's Prayer. And I want to tell you where we're going to go next week. Because this is, uh, this is fun to me, okay? Total geek moment for you guys. But here's the Lord's Prayer. And I want to point something out after I read it to you. You're all familiar with the Lord's Prayer. But I want to point something out to you. Pray then in this way. Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Sounds awesome, doesn't it? Basic Lord's Prayer. Here's what's beautiful. 
That is the outline of the gospel. Let me rephrase. That is the outline of the full, true gospel. How so? We'll talk about it next week, but look at this. Our Father who is in heaven. Do you realize one of the aspects of the gospel is that you now belong? You are now a son or a daughter of the king, our father. You are no longer abandoned. You're not an orphan any longer. You have a place. How many of you know or how many of you are adopted or know somebody who's adopted? Anybody in this room? Yes, you know this. How amazing is the news, the good news of belonging? It's very good news, right? It's an amazing thing, right? Here's the outline of the gospel. Our Father, that's part of this good news, who is in heaven, hallowed, holy is your name. I belong and I have one person's name. I have the King of Kings name. What do we foreground and background here? I'll get into a lot of geeky detail next week. But what we foreground and background is really important. We background the importance of a name. And in ancient cultures, that was foregrounded deeply. Why? Because your name was your identity. The name, who, the name to which you belonged, that was your identity. You remember Bathsheba in the Bible, right? Bathsheba. Beth means daughter of, daughter of Sheba. That was, who, that was her identity. We call her Bathsheba like that was, her, that was Nathan. That was her name, right? This is her identity, daughter of Sheba. This is who she is, okay? This is, we see this all over the place in the scriptures, right? Hallowed be your name. I belong to somebody. I am now son of the king of the universe. I am now a son of the God of the universe. I'm not on par with Jesus. That's not what I'm getting at, right? But I am a son to our king. Your kingdom come. Did you know that that's the gospel? The gospel. The kingdom of God is the gospel. Your will be done. How many of you would like it for God's will to be done in life and all injustice be done away with and all chaos be done away with and everything get better and no more American politics? I didn't get enough amens on that one. Anyway, so, right, we want, we want that. Well, guess what? That's the gospel. Your will be done. I want that. On earth as it is in heaven, on earth, on this place that we reside, as it is where you are sitting on your throne, where you are king of the universe. Give us this day our daily bread. How many of you know that it's good news that God wants to take care of us, his people, just as he did the people of the wilderness, the Israelites of the wilderness, as they sojourned through their deliverance from their, from their captivity into freedom. God wants to feed us the same way. Give us this day our daily bread. This is a really important piece. Forgive us of our debts. Good news? Good news? Even better news. Forgive us of our debts as we're actually able to forgive others now. Instead of holding it against them and being bitter and hating everybody. Right? That's good news. How many of you want to be known as a forgiving person? Awesome. How many of you want to go home right now and forgive somebody? And not as many. Okay, <laughs> right, right. And forgive our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation. That sounds like an awesome piece of good news, right? Lead us by still waters. Lead us in green pastures, not in temptation. In other words, deliver us to the kingdom. Deliver us to the place where we want to be. But deliver us from evil, for yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Guys, the gospel is the good news. What we mean by good news is far more nuanced than people think, okay? 
It requires that we understand how to foreground information, background information, the aspect from which we see something, the identity, how we read ourselves into the story. That's going to affect the gospel. But what it's going to do is it's going to make it fuller. It's going to make it bigger. It's going to make it gooder. There's my word for the day, right? It's going to make it more good news. Okay? And next week, we're going to talk about how the Lord's Prayer serves as this outline. And it'll get us into these distinctives. It'll get us into these beautiful pieces of the gospel. So I hope you'll hang out with us again next week. I hope you'll come back and you'll uh, work with this series because you understanding this is going to change everything about how you deliver it. Last question as we close. We're going to have the worship team, and Jacob is going to come and do communion. By the way, it's Jacob's birthday today. Let's give Jacob a big hand. Mr. Dolezal is uh, 39 years old today. I mean, 29 years old today. I'm just teasing you. He's 29 years old today. I love that young man beyond belief. I wish that I was called young man at 29, but I'll call you that and make you feel better, right? So anyway, so Jacob's birthday is today. Here's, here's the thing that I want you to, to walk away with, uh, or the question I want to ask you. How many of you feel like you just, you, you feel paralyzed if somebody said, can you share the gospel with somebody? How many of you would say you feel paralyzed if somebody asked you to share the gospel with them? You feel paralyzed. You're like, I don't know. A better question. How many of you feel you're going to screw it up if you try? More hands went up that time, right? I don't feel paralyzed. I just feel like I'm going to screw it up. The objective in this series, our time together, will result at the end. It, I promise you. Or your money back. I don't even know what that means in church. Anyway, I promise you or your money back. I promise you by the end of this, you will be able to articulate the gospel. You will be able to share it. And you will feel confident in sharing it. You will be able to articulate it, you'll be able to share the gospel, and you will feel confident in it. And most of my work is just taking down all the nonsense that you have in your head about what you think the gospel is. Those are the things that cripple us. Those are the things that make us squirm in our seats. Like, I'm not going to get this doctrine right. I'm not going to get this exact phrase right. Forget that stuff, right? Listen to me. We are going to, we are going to ensure, I'm going to ensure, you're going to be able to articulate the gospel and you're going to be able to do it with confidence. Trust me on that.